0: If you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We've printed the scripture we'll be looking at this morning in your bulletin, as well as a helpful outline that can help you focus and think and consider um, God's Word as we go through it. We are studying the book of Ephesians in the life of our church. It is... Perhaps one of the best descriptions in a small place of the Christian faith. And I'm excited to preach uh, these beautiful verses this morning. Again, our scripture is Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. You can follow along with me as I read it. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When I was a child, I was rarely, if ever, granted permission to watch an entire night game of one of my favorite football teams, the Miami Dolphins. Now, as is often the case for Dolphin fans and for Dolphin teams, games would rarely be in our favor throughout the entirety of the game. And so when I was summoned to bed, which was oftentimes at halftime, I would go to my room with a slumped head and a dispirited heart, my team getting whooped, and there wasn't much sign for hope. Yet despite my hopelessness on my way back to my room, there were times, of course, unbeknownst to me, where the Dolphins would find a spark and make this incredible comeback and win the game. And when this happened, I always loved this, my dad would come into my room in the morning And he would retell me how the game played out in a dramatic fashion. And I want to give you a a glimpse of what that storytelling was like between me and my dad. It went something like this. Obviously, this is not verbatim, but this is kind of what it went like. Well, Dan, it was a tough game, you know. You know, the Dolphins fought really hard. They really did. Of course, you know they were down big at halftime. You went sadly to your room. And really, the truth, the third quarter wasn't much better. Oh. But Dan Marino, <laughs> but Dan Marino in the fourth quarter reached down deep into his heart and he found a spark and he lit the whole team on fire. Every time the Dolphins got the ball, they went right down the field. The Jets couldn't stop them. And they scored time and time and time again. And Dan? Dolphins won. At that time, I'm sitting up in my bed. Are you kidding me, Dad? And this is before the Internet's on your phone. You can watch highlights right then. All I had was my dad's retelling of it. But I thought, wow! The Dolphins came back! How come you didn't let me watch it? Okay, I needed sleep. But I love those moments. I love those but Dan moments that my dad retold me from time to time. Because sometimes... We all need a but Dan moment because here's the reality of our lives. Oftentimes we go to our bed at night, hopeless and beat down. I mean, life has just beaten us over the head, whether that be the things that you want to get done aren't getting done. The things that you want to do, they're getting done, but they're getting done poorly. And everyone's telling you how poorly it is oftentimes the beatdown that we experience in this life and this is one thing we know and this is something that's so hard it's our fault the beatdown is our fault and we know it and we're absolutely hopeless and like me we long for a but Dan moment we long for there to be joy and happiness in this life but we wonder will it ever come Will we ever have a father come into our room in the morning and tell us something like a butt Dan? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 kind of gets at this a little bit. The first three verses of Ephesians 2 are really hard. It actually describes this beat down feeling so many of us often feel. And it actually tells us a little bit of why we're beat down. It says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are following the prince of the power of this air, meaning Satan. You are following the ways of this world, and as a result of following the ways of this world, are children of God's wrath. It is beat down, beat down, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But then we get to verse 4, and we get our butt-dan moment. But God, you can see it. Paul gives us the most simple but beautiful words that our ears can hear in the midst of our hopelessness and despair. (laughs) But God. Paul is coming to us like a father in the morning and telling us, you might be beat down and hopeless, but God, but God what about God? This morning, I, w- I want to highlight three characteristics of God. The God that Paul is saying, yeah, those are some bad things, but God. And let me tell you something about this God. You might be beat down. But God, first and foremost, is merciful and loving. God is merciful and loving. Look at the text. Look at what Paul does right at the beginning. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. I want you to see this. I I, I really want you to see this. This is such beautiful, beautiful truths. God's powerful action in our lives, namely His raising us up to new spiritual life, is not conditioned on anything in us or from us, but is simply rooted in God's character. A character that Paul says is rich in mercy and abounding in love. God's action towards you is not conditioned on anything in you or from you, but is simply rooted in His character. Mercy. And love. Let me tell you something. It is so easy to believe that God's mercy and His love are conditioned on the choices and the decisions that we make in life. This is because everywhere we live, work, and play are conditioned in this manner. It's run by these rules. A boss only grants mercy to an employee who has messed up if they promise to do better. A parent. Will shower their children only with affection when they obey. A coach will dote on a player when he scores as many points as you can possibly imagine. Yeah, you're the best guy on the play. And so these, this rule of conditional and response is just ingrained in our nature. This performance mentality permeates even the way we see God. But I want you to see what Paul says. God's mercy and love towards us is not conditioned upon how we behave or by what we do. God's mercy and love are actually a result despite us. His mercy and love come to us when? Paul says when we were dead in our trespasses. I mean, let's just think about this for real quick. God's mercy and love comes to us when we were dead in our trespasses. What value does a dead person have? I mean, we we can think about a dead person. We remember the ways that they've loved us and blessed us. But in terms of production, in terms of the way, the the value that they offer to society, not not, not spiritually, and emotionally, what? Nothing. A dead person is dead. And Paul says, God's mercy and love go to you when you are dead. But, but, but here's it's even more profound. Not only are you dead, but you're dead in your trespasses. Paul says, his mercy and love go to you when you trespass against him. If you're unfamiliar with what trespass means, it's just another word for disobeying God. Another word for sin. You might see a sign next to a, a piece of property. Do not trespass. Don't walk on this land. For doing so, you will violate the law. It's the same thing. When you trespass against God, you violate God's law. And you don't want to violate God's law. He is holy and righteous. And he condemns. And he crushes those who are sinful. But yet, here Paul is saying, you are dead in your trespasses. And that's when God's mercy and his love go to you. God's mercy and his love are not conditioned on anything In us or from us. It actually is despite us. And we need to embrace that. This week I'll be teaching the parable of the prodigal son to a ministry called Downline here in town. And one of the things that I love about this story is how much of the mercy and love of God that you see. But there's this astounding moment. The, the, the younger son has gone off into a far country and he's spent all of his money living licentiously and living, living a life that we all know is probably not good. And he is literally beat down. And he's in, he's in the, the pigsty with all the pigs. And this is what he thinks. I, I know that the servants in my father's house, they're getting fed better than me. And I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to beg him mercy. And I'm going to say, treat me as your hired slave. Not as a son. You need to treat me as a hired slave. And what's so astounding to me about this is, Jesus criticizes this in the story, but this is how we think when we're beat down. We said, if I'm going to go to God, and I'm going to cry out to him for mercy and his love, I've got to put conditions on my life. I've got to clean my life up. I've got to do what is right so that God will then do what is right to me. But this is not how God treats his people. His mercy and love go to us despite us. The mercy and love of the Father when he sees that son coming down, he doesn't even allow the son to say, Treat me as your hired servant. It's one of the most beautiful things because he doesn't see him as a servant. He just extends His mercy and His love despite what He has done. And this is exactly what God has done to all of us. His mercy and His love come to us despite us. Do not allow the choices that you've made in your life, whether it be this past week or 30 years ago, do not allow those choices to keep you from coming to God. More than that, do not make resolutions before coming to God. Just go to God, because He is merciful and He is loving. You've messed up your life. You might have run from God all your life. You might run from God again and again, but remember, God is merciful and He is loving. His actions towards you are not conditioned on your choices or actions, but rather according to His mercy and His love, according to His character, Talk to God as you would your most loving, confident. Read God's word as if you're reading a letter from your most trusted friend. Spend time with God in silence because you can. Because he's merciful and he's loving. Paul reminds us of this. Right smack dab in verse four. You might be beat down by life, but God is merciful and loving to you despite where you are. This, my friend, should cause you to sit up right where you're sitting right now and give you happiness and joy. Maybe beat down life by life, but God is rich in mercy and abounding in love. But this isn't where Paul ends. We could go home knowing God's mercy and his love, but Paul continues to press us and say, but God is also number two, powerful but God is powerful look at how Paul talks about this in verse 5 God made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus To appreciate the power of God in these few lines, we must understand Paul's understanding of humanity outside of being a Christian. I mentioned this earlier, but Paul says of those who are not in Christ, those who are not yet walking with the Lord and and trusting themselves that they are dead in their trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of this earth, and by nature, are children of wrath, following the the passions of their flesh. And, And so here's what I want you to do. Here's what, here is, This image of of humanity that I want you to go with me here. Be imaginative with me, okay? This is what Paul is saying of people. Imagine a dead person. This is you. And then that dead person is just laying on the ground and then they're in shackles. This is what you are with Satan. And And then imagine if you even had a thought as a dead person for God. It's actually not for God. It's actually for yourselves. This is called biblical zombieism. <laughs> this is what Paul is saying. Well, I think this is as close as Paul ever gets to talking about zombies in the Bible. Because zombies only know one thing. They, they are, you know, I, I don't really fully know zombies. They're not <laughs> true. But he is trying to paint this picture, especially at the beginning of chapter two, of the great powers against us, whether that be death. Satan or our flesh. It's like a zombie. And if we don't understand just how enslaved and how dead we are, then we'll never appreciate the but God is powerful moment that Paul is trying to bring us to in verse 5. Because this is exactly where he takes us. Look at verse 5. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Paul is saying this. He brought you back to life. No longer are you dead. You've been brought back to life. Just as Christ was killed in three days in the tomb, but then raised to life, so those who are in Christ are also raised to life. Do you see God's power? The power to bring life from death. This is what Paul is saying. As Christians, we have this incredible power. We've been raised from death. To life, But Paul doesn't stop there. Just talking about the power that we've experienced in the past. He says this in verse 6. He has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right now, this is what Paul is saying. You are with Christ who is at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in the throne room of heaven. The throne room of heaven is where the king makes all his decisions, where he governs his wor- world, where his power goes forth. And this is where you are. You've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. And there his power is going forward to you present right now to protect you, to care for you, to keep Satan away. No longer are you shackled by Satan, but you freed and you're actually with the king. In heaven. No longer following the ways of the prince of the power of the earth. You're now in the bosom of Christ himself who sits at the right hand of God and his power is working presently for you. There is nothing that can separate you, Paul says in Romans, from the love of God. No principalities. No trials. You are with Christ in the throne room. This is your spiritual reality. It is a present that you have access to and I love the way that he ends in verse 7 not only is this a a past power that we've experienced and a present power we get to experience but it is a future power that we get to see look at what he says in verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus let me just simply say this Jesus Jesus but the, the triune God is going to do whatever it takes so that you might continue to experience his grace. Trials might come against you. Powers and Satan might come against you. But God is going to do everything in his power. And he's got the power to knock that out so that you might see his grace. That you might see his con- time and time again until eternity and it never ends. There is power. You might be beat up. Life might feel like it's coming against you and the whole world is coming against you, but God is powerful and he knocks it right in the face and pushes it back. That is the reality of those who are in Christ. So let me tell you, Christian, if you are in Christ, there is nothing too hard for God. There's no sin or struggle that cannot be conquered. There's no situation too difficult for God to get you out of. There's no person who's too far from God. God is powerful to bring people back from life. God is powerful to meet your present need. And God will do whatever it takes in his power to continue to show that time and time again. You might be beat down by life, but God is powerful. And this, my friend, should cause you to sit up in your seat right now and bring joy and happiness to your life. But Paul's not done. There is indeed more. He might be beat down by life. But thirdly, God is gracious. God is gracious. Look at Paul's word in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. If you wanted to summarize what Paul is saying in these few lines that we have in our scriptures. You can just look at verse 8. For by grace, you have been saved. Grace. Our salvation is not something we earn. It is a gift we receive. Paid for by God himself. If you've messed up your life and have been beaten down by the consequences of your life and the choices you made, we must remember, but God is gracious. It is a struggle to remember and believe that God's actions towards us is not according to our striving or by our works, but according to his character. We've already discussed this theme earlier when we considered God's mercy and his love. But Paul is coming to us again as if we can't get this into our minds, And it's true. We can't get that God is merciful and loving. And he's telling us, and he and he weaves his this grace message even throughout these lines. You look at verse five. He he says, In the middle of this logical flowing, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And then verse 8 again, by grace you have been saved. It's like, get this in your mind. God is gracious. You may have messed up, but God is gracious. Get this in your mind. You may have messed up. But God is gracious. God's grace cannot be stressed enough in our life, in our church, in our homes, because it is the very thing that counters our world's way of thinking. And truth be told, some of us might even be offended by grace. Because to us, grace seems so unjust. No, no, no. I get what I deserve. I don't get What I don't deserve. Grace is offensive to me. But you see, the grace of God should not be offensive to you. Because what does Paul say of God's salvation? He says it's a gift. A gift is something that has to be paid for. I know, and you know, me, we've all bought presents before for our friends and our loved ones. And when you buy a gift for someone, you're taking money out of your pocket and purchasing that. It is the same with our salvation with God. And he graciously gives you that gift. How did God pay for our gift of salvation? He paid with it with his own arm. God himself took on flesh, descended from heaven and submitted himself to the law pursuing righteousness, obeying all the things that God commanded us to do, but what we are incapable of doing. And so, sinless he lived, demonstrating righteousness, demonstrating a beautiful life. And yet, he went to the cross a sinner. Why did he go to the cross a sinner? To make payment for the gift of salvation For sinners like you and me. Christ himself put himself on the cross. And experienced the wrath of God so that we might experience the very thing Jesus himself deserved. Which was the righteousness and the beautiful relationship between God and himself. And through faith we get to experience that there's an illustration I want to kind of articulate to you of what indeed this grace in the Bible is like. There's a man who had a great debt to a bank, $4 million. He had spent his money recklessly. He had bought things and rang up credit card bills. And so he went into the bank with a last ditch effort and he scheduled a meeting with the owner of the bank and he Finally got that meeting and he gets into the the owner's office and he throws himself down at the feet of the bank owner. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. I have spent my money recklessly. I have followed my own heart in buying whatever I want. Please forgive me. I can't do anything about this debt. And the owner of the bank looks at him and he goes, I'm going to forgive you that debt. I'm gonna forgive you the $4 million debt that you owe to the bank. It's paid for. Let me ask you this. Is that grace? Is that grace? Is that unmerited favor to a man who had no right to earn the forgiveness of the owner? Is that grace? It is grace. But here's the thing. It's not the grace of the Bible. The grace of the Bible is far more beautiful The reality of the man who'd been forgiven $4 million is that when he'd be forgiven $4 million, he'd still have nothing in his bank account. He'd have nothing. And so he'd walk out of that bank, broke. The grace of the Bible is this, that not only is our debt forgiven, but that we've been credited with righteousness of Christ, His obedience. And this is what it's like. It would be like the owner of the bank, looking at the man who had begged forgiveness for his debt, saying, look, I forgive you your debt. But you're going to have to walk out of here and you're going to have to put a roof over your head and you're going to have to pay for gas. You're going to have to put food on the table. And I know that you don't have what it takes to do those things. So I've got my debit card for you. Money that I earned for, for my life, I am giving you my debit card. So that every purchase that you make from here on out, it comes from my account. That, my friends, is the grace of the Bible. That, my friends, is what God has done to us. He has forgiven us our sins and credited us to us the righteousness required to be in life with God. This is a gift. And this is the gift that we receive. Not according to works. We did nothing to earn what God has given us especially so that we wouldn't boast. God has given to us graciously and freely. Therefore, because of this, we should not boast in ourselves, as was so often the case, but rather we should boast in the Lord. When you have done a great job at work, don't think of yourself as so great and mighty. Give thanks to the Lord for having His work in your life. When your children trust Christ for salvation, boast not in your parenting, but in the Lord who works even amongst them and despite you. When you find yourself increasingly desiring God in His ways, boast not in yourself and the ways that you've tried to manufacture this desire for God, but boast in the Lord, for it is Him working in and through you and graciously providing all that you need so that you would not boast in yourself. We can do this by worshiping Him. Listen my friends. You might be beat down by life. But we must remember that God. Is gracious. This my friends should cause you to sit up. Right where you're sitting right now. And move you to joy. And happiness. I don't know if this is my story of being saved. But it is certainly the moment that I experience. The grace of God. That Paul talks about. In these verses. I grew up in a very religious home it was a good home I loved it but I always thought that God was this demanding and exacting God that I had to do the things he's called me to do to earn his love and so when I went off to Florida State University I committed myself and said I'm going to get involved in churches and I did all these religious things thinking that God would earn or that I'd earn God's love and favor I, I, I was following God or trying to follow God as best I can to the point that on long car rides I would listen to sermons. Good. This is good stuff. But it was when listening to one of these sermons that I was listening to out of duty and out of responsibility that I actually began to experience the merciful and loving God that Paul talks about here. When I began to experience the powerful God that Paul describes here. When I began to experience the grace of God as Paul describes here. The sermon was on John chapter 9, eye-opening grace. And I'll never forget having my eyes opened up to the grace of God. And when I experienced that, my heart was so overcome with happiness and joy that I was driving on the road, tears streaming down my face, not boasting in what I had done. I, if anything, what had I done? Nothing. Boasting simply in the Lord and in His grace. It was my but God moment. And I always look on that moment and said, I was heading into a dangerous place, looking to religion to fill me up, but God took me out of that by His grace and showed me who He really was. And by His grace, I am what I am now. Have you had a but God moment? Is your life beat down Are you so weary from the ways of this world? But God. But God is merciful and loving. But God is powerful. But God is gracious. Go to him. Let's go to him now. Our God, it is difficult to comprehend your character. It is true. It is so counter to the ways of this world. It is so counter to even our best relationships that you're merciful and loving and powerful and gracious. It is just so difficult for us to even consider. Yet, Lord, open our eyes that we might behold the beauty of your character. Show us just how merciful and loving you are. Show us your power right here, right now. Lord, if there are some in here that have not had a but God moment, I pray that right now you would enlighten their hearts and their minds that you would bring them from death to life that they might behold the beautiful character that is yours. And that from this point on and forevermore, they said, I had a moment, but God stepped into that moment and changed me forever." This is the offer of your beautiful gospel to us. Oh, Lord, come into our lives. Create these beautiful but God moments in us that we might experience and see your beautiful character and praise you accordingly, boasting in you all the days of our life. I pray this in Jesus' name.